Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. The Life and Adventures of Robinson Crusoe by Daniel Defoe Chapter 10 Tames Goats Part 2 I was now at a great loss which way to get home with my boat. I had run so much hazard, and knew too much of the case, to think of attempting it by the way I went out, and what might be at the other side, I mean the west side, I knew not, nor had I any mind to run any more ventures, so I resolved on the next morning to make my way westward along the shore, and to see if there was no creek where I might lay up my frigate in safety, so as to have her again if I wanted her. In about three miles or thereabouts, coasting the shore, I came to a very good inlet or bay about a mile over, which narrowed till it came to a very little rivulet or brook, where I found a very convenient harbor for my boat, and where she lay as if she had been in a little dock made on purpose for her. Here I put in, and having stowed my boat very safe, I went on shore to look about me, and see where I was. I soon found I had but a little passed by the place where I had been before, when I traveled on foot to that shore so taking nothing out of my boat but my gun and umbrella, for it was exceedingly hot, I began my march. The way was comfortable enough after such a voyage as I had been upon, and I reached my old bower in the evening, where I found everything standing as I left it, for I always kept it in good order, being, as I said before, my country house. I got over the fence and laid me down in the shade to rest my limbs, for I was very weary, and fell asleep. But judge you, if you can, that read my story. What a surprise I must be in when I was awaked out of my sleep by a voice calling me by my name several times. Robin, Robin, Robin Crusoe. Poor Robin Crusoe. Where are you, Robin Crusoe? Where are you? Where have you been? I was so dead asleep at first, being fatigued with rowing or part of the day, and with walking the latter part, that I did not wake thoroughly but dozing thought I dreamed that somebody spoke to me. But as the voice continued to repeat, Robin Crusoe, Robin Crusoe, at last I began to wake more perfectly, and was at first dreadfully frightened, and started up in the utmost consternation. But no sooner were my eyes open, but I saw my Paul sitting on top of the hedge, and immediately knew that it was he that spoke to me, for just in such bemoaning language I had used to talk to him and teach him and he had learned it so perfectly that he would sit upon my finger and lay his bill close to my face and cry, Poor Robin Crusoe! Where are you? Where have you been? How came you here? And such things as I had taught him. However, even though I knew it was the parrot, and that indeed it could be nobody else, it was a good while before I could compose myself. First, I was amazed how the creature got thither, and then, how he should just keep about the place and nowhere else. But as I was well satisfied it could be nobody but honest Paul, I got over it, and holding out my hand and calling him by his name, Paul, the sociable creature, came to me, and sat upon my thumb as he used to do, and continued talking to me. Poor Robin Crusoe! And how did I come here? And where had I been? Just as if he had been overjoyed to see me again and so I carried him home along with me. I had now had enough of rambling to sea for some time, 
and had enough to do for many days to sit still and reflect upon the danger I had been in. I would have been very glad to have had my boat again on my side of the island, but I knew not how it was practicable to get it about. As to the east side of the island, which I had gone round, I knew well enough there was no venturing that way. My very heart would shrink, and my very blood run chill, but to think of it. And as to the other side of the island, I did not know how it might be there. But supposing the current ran with the same force against the shore at the east as it passed by it on the other, I might run the same risk of being driven down the stream and carried by the island, as I had been before of being carried away from it. So with these thoughts I contented myself to be without any boat, though it had been the product of so many months' labor to make it, and of so many more to get it into the sea. In this government of my temper I remained near a year, and lived a very sedate, retired life, as you may well suppose, and my thoughts being very much composed as to my condition, and fully comforted in resigning myself to the dispositions of providence, I thought I lived really very happily in all things except that of society. I improved myself in this time in all the mechanic exercises which my necessities put me upon applying myself to, and I believe I should, upon occasion, have made a very good carpenter, especially considering how few tools I had. Besides this, I arrived at an unexpected perfection in my earthenware, and contrived well enough to make them with a wheel, which I found infinitely easier and better, because I made things round and shaped, which before were filthy things indeed to look on. But I think I was never more vain of my own performance, or more joyful for anything I found out, than for my being able to make a tobacco pipe, and though it was a very ugly, clumsy thing when it was done, and only burned red like other earthenware, yet as it was hard and firm, and would draw the smoke, I was exceedingly comforted with it, for I had been always used to smoke, and there were pipes in the ship, but I forgot them at first, not thinking there was tobacco in the island, and afterwards, when I searched the ship again, I could not come at any pipes. In my wickerware also I improved much, and made abundance of necessary baskets, as well as my invention showed me, though not very handsome, yet they were such as were very handy and convenient for laying things up in, or fetching things home. For example, if I killed a goat abroad, I could hang it up in a tree, flay it, dress it, and cut it in pieces, and bring it home in a basket, and the like by a turtle. I could cut it up take out the eggs and a piece or two of the flesh, which was enough for me, and bring them home in a basket, and leave the rest behind me. Also, large deep baskets were the receivers of my corn, which I always rubbed out as soon as it was dry and cured, and kept in great baskets. I began now to perceive my powder abated considerably. This was a want which it was impossible for me to supply and I began seriously to consider what I must do when I should have no more powder, that is to say, how I should kill any goats. I had, as is observed in the third year of my being here, kept a young kid, and bred her up tame, and I was in hopes of getting a he-goat, but I could not by any means bring it to pass, till my kid grew an old goat, and as I could never find in my heart to kill her, she died at last of mere age. But being now in the eleventh year of my residence, and, as I have said, my ammunition growing low, I set myself to study some art to trap and snare the goats, to see whether I could not catch some of them alive, and particularly I wanted a she-goat, great with young, 
For this purpose I made snares to hamper them, and I do believe they were more than once taken in them, but my tackle was not good. For I had no wire, and I always found them broken, and my bait devoured. At length I resolved to try a pitfall, so I dug several large pits in the earth in places where I had observed the goats used to feed, and over those pits I placed hurdles of my own making too, with a great weight upon them. And several times I put ears of barley and dry rice without setting the trap. And I could easily perceive that the goats had gone in and eaten up the corn, for I could see the marks of their feet. At length I set three traps in one night, and going the next morning I found them all standing, and yet the bait eaten and gone. This was very discouraging. However, I altered my traps. And not to trouble you with particulars, going one morning to see my traps, I found in one of them a large old he-goat, and one of the others three kids, a male and two females. As to the old one, I knew not what to do with him. He was so fierce, I durst not go into the pit to him, that is to say, to bring him away alive, which was what I wanted. I could have killed him, but that was not my business, nor would it answer my end. So I even let him out, and he ran away, as if he had been frightened out of his wits. But I did not then know what I afterwards learned, that hunger will tame a lion. If I had let him stay three or four days without food, and then have carried him some water to drink, and then a little corn, he would have been as tame as one of the kids. For they are mighty sagacious, tractable creatures, where they are well used. However, for the present, I let him go knowing no better at that time. Then I went to the three kids, and taking them one by one, I tied them with strings together, and with some difficulty brought them all home. It was a good while before they would feed, but throwing them some sweet corn, it tempted them, and they began to be tame. And now I found that if I expected to supply myself with goat's flesh, when I had no powder or shot left, breeding some up tame was my only way when, perhaps, I might have them about my house like a flock of sheep. But then it occurred to me that I must keep the tame from the wild, or else they would always run wild when they grew up. And the only way for this was to have some enclosed piece of ground, well fenced either with hedge or pail, to keep them in so effectually that those within might not break out, or those without break in. This was a great undertaking for one pair of hands, yet, as I saw there was an absolute necessity for doing it, my first work was to find out a proper piece of ground, where there was likely to be herbage for them to eat, water for them to drink, and cover to keep them from the sun. Those who understand such enclosures will think I had very little contrivance when I pitched upon a place very proper for all these, being a plain, open piece of meadowland, or savanna, as our people call it, in the western colonies which had two or three little drills of fresh water in it, and at one end was very woody. I say, they will smile at my forecast when I shall tell them I began by enclosing this piece of ground in such a manner that my hedge or pail must have been at least two miles about. Nor was the madness of it so great as to the compass, for if it was ten miles about, I was like to have time enough to do it in. But I did not consider that my goats would be as wild in so much compass as if they had had the whole island, and I should have so much room to chase them in that I should never catch them. My hedge was begun and carried on, I believe, about fifty yards when this thought occurred to me. So I presently stopped short, 
and for the beginning, I resolved to enclose a piece of about 150 yards in length, and 100 yards in breadth, which, as it would maintain as many as I should have in any reasonable time, so, as my stock increased, I could add more ground to my enclosure. This was acting with some prudence, and I went to work with courage. I was about three months hedging in the first piece, and till I had it done, I tethered the three kids in the best part of it, and used them to feed as near me as possible, to make them familiar. And very often I would go and carry them some ears of barley, or a handful of rice, and feed them out of my hand, so that after my enclosure was finished and I let them loose, they would follow me up and down, bleating after me for a handful of corn. This answered my end, and in about a year and a half I had a flock of about twelve goats, kids and all, and in two years more I had three and forty, besides several that I took and killed for my food. After that I enclosed five several pieces of ground to feed them in, with little pens to drive them to take them as I wanted, and gates out of one piece of ground into another. But this was not all, for now I not only had goat's flesh to feed on when I pleased, but milk too, a thing which, indeed, in the beginning, I did not so much as think of, and which, when it came into my thoughts, was really an agreeable surprise, for now I set up my dairy, and had sometimes a gallon or two of milk in a day. And as nature, who gives supplies of food to every creature, dictates even naturally how to make use of it, so I, that had never milked a cow, much less a goat, or seen butter or cheese made only when I was a boy, after a great many essays and miscarriages, made both butter and cheese at last. Also salt, though I found it partly made to my hand by the heat of the sun upon some of the rocks of the sea, and never wanted it afterwards. How mercifully can our Creator treat His creatures, even in those conditions in which they seem to be overwhelmed in destruction? How can He sweeten the bitterest providences, and give us cause to praise Him for dungeons and prisons? What a table was here spread for me in the wilderness, where I saw nothing at first but to perish for hunger. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, twill be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right.